I've been pretty good at being friends with my exes and whether that's ex-partners that I've been with in longer-term relationships or ex-quote-unquote others, so maybe more like a casual relationship. I I generally have been in longer-term relationships, so most of my exes I've been with for a really long time and my breakups have been quite amicable, so it's always been really calm. Not to say that they weren't hard and that there's never been any sort of bad blood between the two of us, so... Hi guys and welcome back to the Race Active Podcast. We're bringing you insightful conversations to inspire wellness for your body and mind. I'm your host, Rachel J, and I'm so excited to welcome you to this episode. Now, this is going to be a ripper episode. I haven't really done an episode like this before. And if you have been listening to the podcast for a while, you'll know that we do touch on some pretty serious topics around health and wellness and and mental health and all that kind of stuff. But I wanted to break it up a little bit with something a little lighter, a little fun. And I put out a Q&A on my Instagram a few days ago and you guys came back with some super interesting and personal questions. So we're going to be hitting some of these topics and I'm super excited to get stuck into it. I, again, obviously have done solo episodes before, but nothing like this. So I hope you guys find a bit of inspo in this. And also this will help you to get to know me a little bit better as well. So we're going to get stuck into it. So the first question is, how long have you been an actor for? Now, I have mentioned this in other podcast episodes. Some of you already know this. I have been acting for about 18 years. I took a step back in 2019. So I've pretty much been an actor my whole adult life. My first role ever that I booked was on an Australian feature film. It was with Delta Goodrum and other people like Saskia Burmeister and Craig McLaughlin. And it was an amazing, you know, first job to to get as an actor. And I've also done a bunch of different shows. You might have seen me on sort of Neighbours and Offspring and a few of the other sort of primetime shows um, and some US stuff as well. So I spoke about this recently in my episode with Sam Webb for the Live In podcast. And he asked me about what the most challenging part of the transition was. So transitioning out of acting. And I thought this is a really interesting topic. What I think what was most difficult for me was letting go of the idea of being an actor, the identity of being an actor. And because I've always been an actor my whole adult life, at least professionally, it was quite difficult to let go of because there is this element of getting some significance from being an actor, especially in Australia, because it's not that common to come across people who are actors. And often when people ask me, you know, they would ask me, what do you do? And I'd say, I'm an actor. Most people get really excited and would get really interested and ask a lot of questions about what it's like and have I been on, what shows have I been on and what famous people have I met or worked with. And so it uh, it was quite hard, I think, just for me to, to let go of the idea of being an actor. But it it ended up being quite freeing in the sense of not pursuing acting as a career. The other question I get asked a lot is, do I miss acting or do you miss acting? And generally I say yes and no. There are definitely parts that I do miss and I would say most of those ones are are, are the study and being in class and doing scene study. And 
you know, I, of course I can actually go and always do that. But I think part of what I miss most is more just being silly and ridiculous and being completely, and it's, and it's completely acceptable to be, you know, ridiculous and silly. It's, it's actually encouraged, I suppose. And when you do get to do those kinds of exercises in class and whatnot, it's almost like you have a space to just be completely free of social and cultural conventions because if you live in Melbourne, especially inner city Melbourne, we, we have a very interesting, very, I would say quite conventional and traditional culture in inner city Melbourne. And one of the things that I found with acting is that it's so liberating because you literally can get on the stage, you have full freedom to express yourself in whatever way you choose to and you don't really need to conform to specific expectations or social and, and cultural conventions. And that is what I would say I miss the most about it, not necessarily I think what people might think to be the most exciting part, which is all the, the glamour and being on set and all of that kind of stuff, which of course being on set is so fun and, and working with some really great actors and very talented people is also very fun. But I think I get to do a lot of that stuff now with the other work that I do in terms of shoots and, and all those kinds of things. Also now with social media, I feel like you still have an outlet to kind of express yourself in that way. So I, I think yes and no. Uh, I still get to express those parts. So, you know, when I began acting, even before I began working professionally, I just loved acting and performing for the joy of for the joy of it and for the freedom of not being constrained to certain expectations. So, I think it's m- more about finding those moments with the work that I do now. So, I don't miss it that much. I think it's just more of an element of the letting loose and having fun and enjoying being in the moment. That's pretty much what acting is to me. And so if I can do that through other vehicles, I feel like I'm not really missing out on too much. The next question is, have you had to kiss for a show? I think that this is such a fascinating topic because I don't think many people talk about it. Of course, I've had conversations with my actor friends about this and uh, it's because I guess, you know, it's not that common kissing people that aren't your partner. But yes, I definitely have. I've had to do a few kisses for a play I was doing and also for scenes, study and random scenes that I've done. And also I've done a few on-screen kisses for TV shows for the roles I did on Neighbours and also this other US TV show that I did. So to kind of break it down and give you a bit of an insight with the stage kisses, you don't really, you don't rehearse them beforehand as in we'd run the scene in rehearsal and you wouldn't actually kiss in rehearsal. You only do it when you're in front of an audience. And I think that really helps with the boundaries of real life and the boundaries of the play and the character. And I think it's really important to have those boundaries as well, just so that you can differentiate between you and the character and the play. With the on-screen kisses, pretty much the same thing. With the with the neighbours ones, we had definitely blocked out rehearsal times with the director. So we block out all the movements. And with that particular scene, the kiss was on a bed and then someone knocks on the door and interrupts us. So in rehearsal, we didn't have the full set. It was just a very loose block. And it was more about the scene than it was about the kiss, you know. And then when we're on set filming and we're actually filming the scenes, 
you usually do a few rehearsals for camera and tech. And so that's just a really good time for the actors to refine our movements and to know where we're going and to hit what marks. I think from memory, even the rehearsals before the actual takes, we didn't actually kiss. We just did the scene... We did the scene quite a few times though We we to get the shots from the different angles and I remember there were a couple of times where so the actress that was walking in through the door, the, the door was locked I think from the previous scene. So we'd do a take and then somehow the door would get locked and so then when we'd go for the next take, uh, she couldn't get in the door but we'd already done the kiss. So there were a few extra takes that we did there and so you, you sort of do it maybe. I, th- I think we probably ran that scene about five or six times by the end of it. With the one for the US show, it was in an alleyway outside a bar and then in the back of a car, super classy. So we spent quite a bit of time blocking those movements and just for that particular, the alleyway kiss, that was a bit more technical. We had to run through where hands were getting placed, where your head was getting placed, just so that it could fit in frame because it was quite a close shot. It was quite a tight shot. So that, again, was more for the blocking of the scene and we didn't actually – you don't actually kiss when you're in the rehearsal or when you're doing the blocking. Uh, But you obviously – you kiss for the the actual takes. Now, a lot of people wonder whether you're supposed to kiss like you would normally – you know, in real life, like with tongues and everything. Now, the standard practice is to generally not use tongue. I think that's just what most actors do. Uh, but at least in my experience, if both actors are okay with it, I've found that you just kiss like you normally do. do. It's, it's not standard practice, but it. I definitely have done kisses with tongue and without tongue. <laughs> so I think when you're in character anyway, it does feel a bit different than if you were just you kissing somebody. And obviously you've got 500 people looking at you. I mean, not quite 500, but you've got the whole crew watching you. So it is a little bit different, Uh, but it's always fun. You know, you're always in character and um, definitely fun times as an actor. Now, the next question is, what is your take on being friends with exes? I really like this question. (laughs) Uh, I've been pretty good at being friends with my exes and whether that's ex-partners that I've been with in longer-term relationships or ex-quote-unquote others, so maybe more like a casual relationship. I I generally have been in longer-term relationships, so most of my exes I've been with for a really long time and my breakups have been quite amicable, so it's always been really calm. Not to say that they weren't hard, and but there's never been any sort of bad blood between the two of us, so and I, I might do an episode specifically on how to handle breakups because I've had a lot of girlfriends who obviously when we go through these things, we turn to our girlfriends for support and I've definitely helped a lot of my friends through breakups. But I think long-term, being friends with an ex has boundaries obviously because when I say I'm friends with exes, I probably don't hang out with them like I would a normal friend. I think part of this is if they have a new partner or if I have a new partner, it really depends on if the new partners are comfortable with the friendship. Uh, One of the exes that I've had a long time ago, we had been together for about eight years and we still hung out for maybe, I'd say almost a year after we split up. Neither of us were wanting to get back together with each other. It was just that 
we, you know, we'd been each, in each other's lives for such a long time. Um, and when I did start seeing someone new, um, the new guy was okay with me hanging out with my ex-partner. Um, and my ex-partner and I had shared a dog together. So, I, you know, I would see, I'd actually see my ex-partner for quite a lot of years down the track when I'd have puppy visitations. And, and my partner at the time was completely fine with that. My ex-partner's new partner um, wasn't so keen on him and I being friends. So we did have to limit our communication. We did limit us spending time together and hanging out. We didn't actually, we didn't really hang out uh, once he had a new partner and, and she wasn't very comfortable with it. So I think it's more about just being respectful of the new partners and go by what they're comfortable with really. Now the ex quote unquote others, <laughs> now these are probably people that I've seen that have been for quite a while, but not specifically a committed relationship. One in particular, we're still friends. We're not super close friends, but we still see each other from time to time. And we have definitely gone to lunch. We've trained together and all that stuff. And when he and I stopped seeing each other, it was also really easy and calm. And we both knew what the relationship was. Um, we were both really good at communicating with each other along the way. So when it came to sort of ending that part of our relationship, I think being friends w wasn't really difficult at all. Uh, so I think the key really is communication. And I think if you can really speak to each other about it and, and understand each other's expectations and what you're comfortable with. Also, if there's no animosity between the two of you, especially when you end that part of the relationship, I think it's definitely easy to do. And as long as the new partners are okay with it, you know, I think it probably is rarer. It's probably more the exception than the rule. But I've, in my experience, I've definitely found that I've, I've found it quite easy to be friends as long as it's within the boundaries of whatever new relationship your ex-partner, ex-quote-unquote other is in. So when I share my story of how I've handled breakups, a lot of, I think a lot of people are surprised that I, I've had such easy and calm, an easy and calm process. It's not without emotional challenges, but just the way that I've handled it along with my ex-partner. I think I'll probably do an episode on this at some point. It's it's probably not so much about how to be friends with an ex, but more around how to handle breakups in a really peaceful way. What about your take on going back to exes? Uh, so this is funny. Um, so I'd call this the re-return. That's probably the term that I would use. And the, the re-return is a, is a term from, from How I Met Your Mother, if you've watched that show. I don't think anyone uses that term, but I do. So let's just, let's just roll with it. Basically, I'm guessing it means hooking up with an ex. What about your take on going back to exes, hooking up with exes? Well, again, I think it depends on the two of you. And it probably also depends on where you are at in terms of the breakup, as in, were you the one that initiated the breakup or not? Because if you weren't the one that wanted to break up or initiated the breakup, then you might have to put stronger boundaries around your contact and communication with your ex-partner because it might be a little bit more difficult for you to move through emotionally if you continue to see that person and and seeing that person might be a bit more detrimental to the process for you. If you've been with someone for a long time, sometimes there's a bit of lag time in detaching as well. So maybe it might be healthy to basically wean yourself off this person. But I'd say if this is the case, you have to be quite self-aware and controlled with this and know when 
you need to pull your energy a little bit further away from that person and what you will continue or not continue to do with them. So I would say I think it depends on how you broke up, who initiated the breakup and also to set healthy boundaries for yourself. So if you do feel like you need more space for yourself, then maybe hooking up with an ex isn't great. But if, you know, if you both know where you're at and communication, again, I think 100% is where it's at. Now, this is a really interesting topic. The question is, what's your opinion on polyamory? This is so fascinating to me. I definitely know people who have been in polyamorous relationships and I feel like it's becoming a lot more common, also a lot more socially acceptable to talk about or socially acceptable to be in a relationship that's not a monogamous relationship. One person I know actually was in a polyamorous relationship and then she met my friend and has now decided to be monogamous and they're getting married and they'll they'll probably have some open parts to their relationship at times, I'm sure, with boundaries, of course. And one of my other friends who I was just chatting with is in an open relationship where they've got boundaries around when they can be open and when they are not open and they've been together for almost a year. So I think if it works for you, amazing. I think if, again, it's about communicating with your partner around what you want and need in a relationship and agreeing upon the boundaries of what you're both comfortable with. For me personally, I've never been in a polyamorous relationship. I don't necessarily think polyamory is for me. uh, And it's probably not something that I would want to pursue actively. I like the idea of having one person that's your partner, that you're committed to and that you decide to create a life together. All right. (laughs) Now, into health and fitness stuff, one of the questions that I was asked, I often get asked this as well, and I feel like a lot of coaches get asked this question. How many times a week do you work out and what types of workouts do you do? Now, this really depends on where I'm at and what my goals are at the time. This has definitely changed over the times that I've answered this question, even on the podcast or on my socials. Currently, we're about to head into the warmer months here in Melbourne. So what I've started to do is with my training is to get a little bit more into my weights training and getting outside, obviously, for more movement. At the moment, I'm doing about four to five sessions a week, and that's a combination of reformer Pilates. I'm doing weight sessions and walking. I'm not really down with the running at the moment. <laughs> and when I can get to strong, I will do a session here and there at strong. Uh, obviously, as a Pilates trainer, I know Pilates is so great for toning and strengthening and also my core strength. And also if you've done my core 30 program, you know all about this. With my weight sessions, I tend to focus on arms and back and probably a standards weight session for me will be more reps uh, with moderate weights. So as an example, this will be just an example of an arms and back session for me. I'll hit lat pull downs, face pulls, seated rows, tricep presses, bicep curls, lateral raises. I'll usually always finish with some sort of core work, whether that's sit-up presses or Russian twists or some core 30. 
And I'll usually superset those exercises. So for instance, I'll take two of those exercises, for example, I'll take the lat pull down and the face pulls and I will alternate between them with little rest. And I'll hit maybe four sets of 15 reps and I'll do that with all the exercises that I'm doing for this session, superset them and then finish off with that core. I'm usually not working to max effort. It's more about, for me, maintaining strength and tone. So it's not so much about building muscle as it is about maintaining the muscle mass that I do have. That's why I'll be hitting higher reps with moderate weight rather than hitting heavy, heavy weights and less reps. All right. So what does an average day of eating look like for you? All right. So I've spoken about my eating practices before. Actually, I have a whole podcast episode about intermittent fasting. I do still practice intermittent fasting, which means that I'm fasted for about 16 to 18 hours. And then my window of eating is usually around eight hours, which just means that I consume my daily caloric intake in a shorter window of time. So I'm not in a calorie deficit because I'm not trying to lose weight specifically. The the practice of intermittent fasting for me is purely lifestyle and it just works really well. My body's used to it. And so I'm basically eating my maintenance calories just in a shorter window of time. I don't really have set meal times per se either. If I'm hungry, I'll eat. If I'm not hungry, I won't eat. I usually am done eating around eight at night and I'm usually breaking my fast at about anywhere between 2 and 4 p.m. in the afternoon. It depends on my day. It depends on my schedule. So I really like to break my fast with a high-protein meal if I can, and that might be something like egg whites. I might add some smoked salmon and avocado to that as well, so that keeps it high-protein and high-good fats. And I don't really have set meal times, so what I'm usually eating is a variety of foods throughout the day, and this will kind of be the range of things that I tend to eat. So I'll usually have maybe some sushi rolls, so either some raw salmon and avocado or tuna and avocado, maybe a California roll. I also like to have high protein yogurt and I'll pair that with some berries. So usually that's going to be strawberries or blueberries. And because berries tend to be lower in fructose, this keeps it really high protein with the high protein yogurt. I'll also have a big salad. And at the moment, I'm really loving butter leaves. They're really yummy. And I add cucumber, cherry tomatoes, and I'll pair that with some sort of lean protein. So whether that's seafood like oysters or some sort of white meat or lean white meat like turkey, I don't generally tend to eat red meat. And if I do eat red meat, it's going to be something like a burger, which is not actually the best quality of red meat, but it's typically going to be some sort of indulgent food if it's going to be red meat. I just don't eat it very often. The other thing I might have will be some rice cakes with some Serena light chili tuna. I'm really digging that at the moment. And I add cherry tomatoes and a bit of kewpie mayo, which is Japanese mayo on top. The other thing I will have is as well, I try to get in some more greens. So if I feel like I need more greens, I have something like a, a cold pressed juice, which will include sort of apple, cucumber, spinach, that kind of thing. And I generally try and get that cold press as well so that it sort of retains all the nutrients. So I'll have something like that too. And I generally always snack every day and I really 
think that it's really important for my mental health. So for me, that's going to be chippies. If you guys know me by now, you know, I love my chippies and some sort of chocolate or some sort of sweet treat. I tend to stick by the whole 80-20 rule, which is 80% healthy and 20% indulgent. I just think it's really healthy for my mental health. Also, I don't like to restrict myself too much. So I think it's really important to have a, a nice balance of some indulgence with moderation. I'm not super strict at the moment. So, you know, I, I'm pretty lax, but I still, I still am conscious of what I'm eating. But if I do want to do a mini shred or a lean down, then I will tighten up the indulgence part and switch that to more clean foods or healthier snack options. Now, the next question is, how do you lean down in a short amount of time for an event? Now, I want to preface this question before I give my answer, just to say that my answer is obviously not going to be about a long-term solution. So ultimately, you do want to be working towards more of a healthy long-term goal in this way. I think most people think that working out is all you need when it comes down to leaning down, but really your focus needs to be pretty much 90% nutrition. But in a short amount of time, I would say this is a bit like a mini shred. And I, I sometimes do this for shoots where I know I need to just bring things down a little bit for one day or one shoot. And so this is a temporary way of doing things uh, because it might be a little bit more restrictive than I normally would like to go. What you're really looking at will be pulling down that inflammation and fluid. And because it's short-term only, we're not necessarily going to be looking for long-term fat loss. And leaning down essentially means reducing body fat and increasing lean muscle. And of, of course, it depends on your starting position where your body is currently at. So these are my main tips. Again, you know, this is very general and this is probably what I would do and it might not be for everyone. I do want to preface it by saying that just take it as general general uh, tips, right? So the first tip will be to you want to look at what, what you're currently eating and become aware of what your actual caloric intake is. You want to know where you're starting because that's going to help you with making those changes. The second thing is to reduce your caloric intake by a small amount. I'd say maybe only 100 or 200 calories a day, depending on what you started with. And you don't want to reduce it too much because that will just play with your metabolism and also reducing your caloric intake too quickly. Long-term, it's really not ideal for you. You just really want to make sure that you're doing it in the correct way. You'll also want to eat more vegetables that are high volume and low calorie like broccoli, greens, zucchini, and pair that with some sort of lean protein so that you will feel satiated. So protein helps you feel fuller for longer and you, you want to pair that with more volume of things that aren't high or not highly calorically dense. Now, the fourth tip will be to reduce your intake of sodium. So any added salt or foods that contain sodium, you want to reduce those. Sodium really, it kind of acts as this fluid retention thing. So if you are consuming a lot of sodium, you're going to retain more fluid. So we need to reduce the sodium. What will also help with this is to, tip number five, reduce highly processed foods, highly refined sugars. This will actually account for a lot and make a pretty big difference, especially if you do currently consume a lot of highly processed foods. This will make a big difference. 
Tip number six is to reduce your alcohol intake. This is another big one, especially if you drink quite frequently. I've definitely had clients who just by doing this literally see, you know, pretty big results just by cutting back the alcohol. Tip number seven is to make sure you hydrate well. Consume your daily water intake. And so for most people, that's anywhere between 1.5 liters and three liters. It really, again, depends on your current weight as to what that ratio is for you. Tip number eight is overall macro-wise, you want to hit a higher protein ratio. I would say lower the carb ratio in terms of your high GI carbs and stick to healthy fats. Again, if you eat clean and reduce your highly processed foods, that's pretty much going to take care of this. But think about higher protein to keep you satiated. And tip number nine, which is basically the overall gist of it, is you just want to be consuming slightly less calories, eating cleaner, and making sure that you also move regularly. But I, I do want to say that your real focus is, will mainly be on nutrition, which I know people would probably prefer to just work out and move more. But in terms of leaning down, nutrition is where it is at. All right, the next question. This is so fun. I love <laughs> I love answering questions. Now, the next question is fillers or Botox? What's your opinion? Now, I personally haven't had any Botox or fillers done myself, but I do have loads of friends who get both done regularly and they absolutely love it. Now, my perspective is if, look, if it makes you feel good and you want to do it for whatever your reason is, all power to you. If you're not about it and it's not your vibe, also all power to you. I think one thing that we do have is the power of choice and we are all responsible for what we decide to do or not do to our own bodies. I think it's really an individual decision and educate yourself about whatever procedure you want to go through and if you want to do it, great. If you don't want to do it, great. Just know that it's your choice and I think that's the beauty of being human is that we all get to decide what we want to do to our own bodies. Now, would I ever get it done? Uh, look, I'd never say never, but at this stage, I don't really have any plans to get any Botox or filler. I don't really feel like I need to. And so, but you know, never say never. The next question is, have you had anything done like a boob job, etc. Now, I do get asked this question quite a lot and I would say it's probably mostly because I've got quite a small frame. I'm, I'm pretty slender and I have biggish boobs for my frame, I think. So I think that's why people ask me all the time. But no, I haven't had any work done and I haven't had a boob job. <laughs> I have mentioned this in other episodes before when we've talked about sort of body image and stuff like that. Genetically, I've just grown boobs. I don't really know how I grew boobs. And I have a bit of an hourglass shape in that I have boobs, I've got a small waist and I have some hips. So I just kind of have the body that I have. I do work hard in terms of my training, but that's just been a consistent thing for so long now that it's so natural to me. So it doesn't really feel like hard work. So I, I think I'm just working with what I have and do the training that I enjoy and work the muscle groups that I enjoy training most. It, it's core work, obviously, mainly. I love um, training my core and I realize that this has nothing to do with the question, but no, I haven't had any work done. The next question is, you know, would I get stuff done? Again, never say never, but at this stage, I really don't have any plans on, on getting anything done. 
I think, again, it's the same thing. If you feel like it's something that you want to do for you and you have your reasons, again, we have the power of choice. So if you're for it, go for it. If you're not, don't go for it. I think it's whatever you decide to do and whatever works well for you. Well, guys, this has been a super interesting episode. I have absolutely loved answering these questions and especially on some really fascinating topics. And I'm sure we'll get to another one of these episodes soon. I hope this episode has helped you get to know me a bit better and also given you more of an insight into some of the experiences that I've had and the beliefs I have about certain topics. I will, again, just even asterisk that on my beliefs about things. Beliefs can change and shift. So at this particular moment in time, these are my beliefs about these certain topics. Again, I'm totally open to having things change. So, you know, I might do another Q&A episode in a year's time and I might think differently about certain things. So who knows? But thank you to all of you who have listened and supported the podcast. You know, I'm super grateful for all the ratings and reviews and for all your support. Tell me what you loved most or found most interesting about the topics in this episode and leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for listening, guys, and we'll catch you next time on the Rage Active Podcast. 